0: it's an invitation to walk at your own pace to to go at your own pace with curiosity that you know as you build the muscle of of deep curiosity you'll become more and more fluent in it and then you'll be able to you know, enter more and more types of spaces. But just like in a gym, I would never tell someone who's new at weightlifting to like go bench 200 pounds. You know, you have to work your way up there. You know, you have to start small and there's nothing wrong with starting small. It's actually, it can be really fun and get you in the mood and, and then you see a progression. This is
1: Choose to be Curious, a show all about curiosity. We talk about research and theory, but mostly it's conversations about how curiosity shows up in work and life. I'm your host, Lynn Borton. Welcome. Come, choose to be curious with us. I've never done this before. I've never done two episodes from one interview. But one of the great things about being the master of my own fate and show is that I can do stuff like that. This is the second part of a conversation I had with educator, researcher, and true curiosity connoisseur, Scott Shigeoka. Scott's debut book, Seek, How Curiosity Can Transform Your Life and Change the World, dives into the science, stories, and practices that can help us all level up our curiosity. If you missed last week's episode, you can find both on my website at choosetobecurious.com. But here's what you need to know for this part of the conversation to make sense.
0: Yeah. So first I'll talk about the spectrum of curiosity, which is, you know, on one side of the spectrum is shallow curiosity and on the other is deep curiosity. And so shallow curiosity is, you know, the typical way that most of us think about curiosity. It's a way to attain or extract information. You know, we want to learn something for our next pub trivia, or we go to a conference and we ask someone what's your name and where do you live and what do you do for work? And, and, there's nothing wrong with that kind of curiosity. It just doesn't necessarily take us underneath the surface to really see who a person is, what their stories are, what their values are, uh, what they're you know uh, struggling with right now, what's troubling them, um, what they're joy joyous about. You know, um, so deep curiosity is where we actually go beneath the surface and we dive a little bit deeper to unearth some things that might not show up with a simple question like what's your name or what do you do for work or um, where do you live? So instead, it invites us to, to learn to ask questions that are a bit more powerful and that evoke a response that goes deeper. So instead of what's your name, you might ask, what's the story of your name? Or instead of asking, so where do you live? You might say, what does home mean to you, actually? Or instead of asking, what do you do for your job? You might say, tell me about the times when you come to life, you know? come alive you know what what does that look like for you and so that just opens the door to something that's a little bit deeper it's an invitation for folks to to go a little deeper and and that's where the connection and the transformation lives and so that's what i define a deep curiosity is a particular type of understanding that actually connects us to either ourselves to one another or transforms us um, in some way and The way that we can access that deep curiosity, I I use this DIVE model in the book. And the way you can think about it is each letter of DIVE, D-I-V-E, is a core muscle group of deep curiosity. So D stands for detach, which is to let go of your ABCs. So your ABCs are assumptions, your biases, and certainty. So that's D, detach. Then you have I intend, which is what's the way that you're going to prepare your mindset and your setting? For curiosity then you have v which is value so how do you see the dignity of the person you're being curious with which might also be yourself so how do you see your own value and your own self-worth and then e is to embrace and that's about welcoming the hard times in our lives which is when we actually need curiosity the most deep curiosity the most because you know in those moments of you know heartbreak grief Uh, big transitions, like moving to a new place, uh, getting laid off uh, a divorce a new marriage, like curiosity is actually a moment that we can benefit the most from using it in these times that seem really difficult or are really difficult. And so that's dive. And so in the book, I introduce each of those four muscle groups. And I also give a bunch of different practices that anyone anywhere can use that are creative and fun and interesting. And, and that allows people to detach, to attend, to value or to embrace. And the really nice thing about the model is it's a virtuous cycle. So the more you practice one of these muscles, the more that you're able to exercise your deep curiosity muscles as a whole. So yeah, so that's basically the overview of it.
1: And the book is just chock full of what I think of as just really easily applied and kind of multiple abilities. Not all of these are going to work for all of us in the way yep. that they're presented, but there is enough there to work for everyone to have a point of entry. Mm-hmm. Kudos to you on that. So, do you have do you have some some practices that come up for you right now as we're talking that mm. you might want to pull out to share? I won't yeah. ask you to call them your favorites. Yeah, yeah. No, no, no. They're all my, fa- they're all my favorites. I know. They're all my favorite I children.
0: Um, no, I mean, there's two in particular that I'll probably pull out. The first is it's an embrace. And embrace mm-hmm. is, you know, I, I love the entire dive model, but I really love embrace because I think it's probably for me, the hardest invitation, which is to welcome the hard times in our lives, because I think we so often want to push those moments in. And I start that chapter off with a wildland firefighter named Lily, who has become a friend of mine. And, and, you know, what wildland firefighters have to do when they're facing, you know, a forest fire, and how they have to also be curious about, you know, their environments in order to meet that moment. And I also talk about how we have our own fires. Like we we, we are our own forest <laughs> landscape and our lives are full of fires that happen. A parent's cancer diagnosis or uh, our child that's really struggling with addiction or a friend that's going through a really difficult emotional experience. And what are these moments where these are really hard and challenging for us. It brings up a lot of emotions. It brings up a lot of difficulties for us, but how do we continue to choose to be curious in those moments, deeply curious, even when all we wanna do is like run away or, or sort of hide. And so one of the practices in that chapter um, is called quicksanding. And basically, the idea is that when you're in actual physical quicksand out in the desert somewhere, you know, and it just rained, uh, I was always afraid of this because of Indiana Jones. Like I was afraid like I was going to die. I know. I know. We
1: all were. And so I actually
0: researched. I was like, how do you survive? in quicksand and what you don't want to do your body might have this immediate reaction when you're in quicksand and you're sinking and you're afraid you're gonna you know suffocate and you know and, and die and you know you lash, you rash you thrash your body and you lash out and you're you're kind of moving really quickly and your, your breathing picks up and your heart rate's really high and that actually sinks you further and faster into the quicksand and so instead what you're supposed to do even though this seems counterintuitive to many of us is you're supposed to pause you take really deep breaths long inhales long exhales make yourself really buoyant you slow down and then you bring in intentional and slow movement so you might slowly cycle your feet around like a bicycle but like You're moving really, really slow on the bicycle. And what happens is that actually not only makes you more buoyant, but it, it shakes up the sand and the mud inside of the quicksand and allows your feet to break free. And then you suddenly rise to the surface and then you can get out of the quicksand by floating away. And just like there are fires in our lives, you know, we can apply this mentality and this this intentional slow movement that we would do in physical quicksand in nature in our own lives by in a moment we have devastating news of, of a parent's cancer diagnosis or our own you know we can take a pause and take you know some long deep breaths and choose to slow down and take some intentional slow movement in some way, whether that's getting into our bodies or going for a walk and taking in what's around us and that act of slowing down. It's so, like you said, a lot of these practices are very simple, but there's a lot of research to support why um, the act of intentional and slow breathing calms us, reduces cortisol levels, can reduce anxiety that we're feeling. And also this idea of opening ourselves up to deep curiosity, because we're no longer in this reactive state of thrashing around and trying to, you know, throw more fire on fire. We're instead, you know, able to look around and really evaluate what's going on. I mean, imagine if wildland firefighters like Lily were just not being curious and not being, you know, not practicing quicksanding or kind of running into fires without, you know, any information or any understanding of what they were actually moving towards. I mean, you know, if you look at any occupation like this, there is, you know, nursing and any, any other form of high intensity work, you know, there is something to be said about choosing to slow down and being really intentional with your movement. And so let's do the same thing in our lives when we're experiencing something really hard and challenging.
1: I love it. I love it. So I don't want to let you get away without talking about the fact that you address the limits of curiosity. Mm -hmm. Because as two curiosity proponents, I think it's actually really important that we talk about the places where we need to be careful about our curiosity. And I wonder if you can talk more about that.
0: So a lot of people think that curiosity, especially when I frame it around, you know, the political or the social device in our country, they think it's, let's all grab tea and it's very kumbaya and it's just like, <laughs> so we're all just going to be civil and, you know, your your position's now my position and we're all just in this murky, and that's not at all what I'm saying. You know, with curiosity, I think that it's really, really important for us to have an arc towards justice and an arc towards belonging um, in this work, but we don't have to deheatize humanize people or dismiss people or just focus on their positions but lose sight of the person that's in front of us. And so, you know, what what I share in The Limits of Curiosity is that in many ways, like, you don't have to actually get rid of any of your viewpoints um, or your beliefs and put those aside. Like, I'm not asking someone who identifies as Muslim who to be curious towards someone who is Christian and to, you know, let go of their, of their religion or vice versa, you know. And right. so, this means to know who you are, to constantly be curious about yourselves, but to extend an open heart and an open mind towards others. Um, but this work can be really challenging, and especially when you you think about who are you being curious towards? And what if this person is trying, is not just having has a different viewpoint from me, but is dangerous or is threatening my life or has said things to me that is harming my mental health, you know, and so in that chapter on the limits of curiosity, I talk about um, the ways that we can evaluate for ourselves, because everyone's level of comfort and discomfort and feelings of safety will feel different. But they, you know, a process that allows us to really reflect on where are my boundaries? Where will I say, nope, this has gone too far. Um, I'm feeling personally threatened or attacked by this. I feel like my physical safety is in jeopardy right now. I'm going to remove myself from this situation. And I actually had a moment like that when I was at a Trump rally in Minnesota, where, you know, I went through the process of, you know, Going, waiting in line for hours. I met all these really interesting people actually who shifted my perspective on who a Trump voter was. I had a very narrow view before I went to this rally and I my, my mind was just expanded when I chose to be curious and come in with an open heart and not put anyone on the defensive. But by the time I was sitting down and I was listening to all the speakers and then Trump came up and I was just so exhausted. My body was literally breaking down and I just couldn't take it anymore. And that was when I had to, you know, Think about my own boundaries, my own limits, my own capacity. And I had to say, nope, I this is this moment that I need to leave. So I did my awkward squeeze, you know, and like went through the aisles and and left. And, and that was important for me because I think I would have, you know, really burnt myself out if I stayed any any longer.
1: You're listening to Choose to Be Curious, conversations about curiosity and work and life. I'm your host, Lynn Borton, and I'm joined today by Scott Shigeoka. We're talking about his new book, Seek how curiosity can transform your life and change the world.
0: What was really interesting about that story in particular is I I walked out with a group of, of uh, Trump voters who were leaving early too, which got me interested on why. And they were like, oh, we want to be, uh-huh. you know, the traffic and the parking, and we want to get out before the parking garage becomes a nightmare. And I was like, oh, I've definitely been that way after like an arena concert or something. I was like, wow, we're like all so <laughs> human. And we're walking out and there's a counter protest that's happening. And um, uh, you know, uh, one of the counter protesters, you know, looks at us, me, and 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 these Trump voters, I mean, you know, they're they're wearing their Trump gear, and um, yells an expletive at us, which I won't say because I know this is on radio, but like it was a very, um, you yeah, know, it was like you effing racist, like you what, you know, get out of our city, like you don't belong here. And there was something especially about the that that idea of like you don't belong here and get out of the city that reminded me, you know, I'm Asian American and, you know, when I was younger, sometimes even in my adult years, you know, people would say ching chong to me, or like, where are you really from, or you don't belong here, you know, go back to China and I'd be like, I'm actually Japanese, you know, but, um, you know, and I'm from Hawaii, but, you know, which is, we have a complicated relationship towards America too, you know, but I, you know, so, so I, I just think that, um, you know, it, it, you know, in that story and in any moment in our lives, like we really have to understand what our own boundaries are, what our own limits are, and really protect ourselves. And that requires a lot of self-compassion. Um, but we also have to extend grace to, to others as we become deeply curious, because some people will say the wrong things or not have the same, you know, um, access to quick sounding that you do, and maybe are being really <laughs> reactive. And how do we sometimes in moments, you know, extend grace towards people? And then where do we draw the line of when you know, we really need to, you know, you know, protect ourselves. Um, so yeah, so I, I just don't want people to think that, uh, you know, everyone should always be curious all the time. That's really exhausting. I don't think we have the, we don't have the ability to do that. No, and so no. our moments when we just have to go no contact with people, or we have to create You know boundaries with them because that's important not just for us but maybe for the relationship but for them too and so um i acknowledge that this is you know we are operating in reality this is not a vacuum and that was really important for me to be in the book and you know my editor and the whole team understood exactly why and they're on the same page because you know we don't want curiosity to lead to negative exposures where you're not knowing what your boundaries are and you're not knowing what your resourcing is and then you try to be curious and you go to a Trump rally and you're not ready and then it just like leads into this huge you know uh you know fight or something you know in line and so I also say that in the story that not everyone is ready to like go to a trump rally immediately after reading the book if they are you know progressive in values or vice versa going to you know like a bernie sanders you know um uh rally if you are uh, more conservative leaning and so the you know it's an invitation to walk at your own pace to to go at your own pace with curiosity that um you know as you build the muscle of of deep curiosity you'll become more and more fluent in it and then you'll be able to you know, enter more and more types of spaces, but just like in a gym, I would never tell someone who's new at weightlifting to like go bench two hundred pounds. You know, you have to work your way up there. You know, you have to start small, and there's nothing wrong with starting small. It's actually it can be really fun and get you in the mood, and and then you see a progression.
1: Yeah, yeah. No, I like that. I like that. I think that's exactly right. That you know, if you move too fast with any muscle. Um, injury Mm -hmm. happens Mm -hmm. and that can really set you back. So that is a great segue to my big jar of wannabe analogies. Yes. I love this. Okay. Okay. So I'm on the road. I don't actually have my big jar, but I do have my little slips of paper, which I have not looked at. I have three of them here and one for you, one for me, one for the audience. And we're going to make an analogy to curiosity with whatever is on (laughs) these slips of paper. Okay, yours is placemat.
0: Mm-hmm. How is
1: curiosity like a placemat? And mine is water.
0: Mm. And
1: then I have one for the audience. Do you want to go first mm. or do you want me to go?
0: You go first, yeah.
1: Okay. How is curiosity like water? Um. Well, I, I mean, it's elemental. Mm. I think curiosity is like foundational, mm. elemental. Um, Water is, we think of it mostly as fluid, but water takes many forms. Mm. And I think curiosity is both fluid, but takes many forms. Mm. Um, And I can't get through my days without drinking a lot of water. And I feel like I can't get through my days without some amount of curiosity. Mm. Like my day is incomplete without Mm. it. Mm. So that's what I'll say. So how is curiosity like a placemat?
0: Well, I think about the, you know, the placemat, in front of your door, you know, when you're like, welcome, you're welcoming someone into, Mm -hmm. into your home. Mm -hmm. And I think about how, um, you know, if you're, if you're looking through the people, you only get so much, you know, when you, when you see what's on the other side, (laughs) but you actually need to open the door and, you know, welcome that person in from the placemat into your home or vice versa to really understand, you know, how someone lives and how they move through the world. Um, you don't want that whole door in front of you. If, you're, if your placemat says welcome, you know, truly being welcome, truly, you know, bringing them into, into your home. <laughs> so I think curiosity is really about, especially deep curiosity is really about that invitation um, to do the really vulnerable and exposing thing of opening the door and walking through and seeing what's really on the other side. And um, yeah, so that would be my analogy.
1: Nice. Nice. I like it. I like it. An audience, this is what I chuckled about. Yours is porcupine. <laughs> How is curiosity like a porcupine? Let me know. Social media hashtag analogy. Well, Scott, thank you so much for this. Congratulations on the book. Of course, I've got links on my website and I'm just excited to see what you do next.
0: Oh, thank you. Yeah, and I'm really excited. I hope everyone can get a copy of Seek, and I'm um, really excited to hear from anyone um, after you read the book. I would love to hear your thoughts or what came up for you, or you know, what how are you using it in your personal or your professional lives? If you need any you know support or suggestions, you know, please reach out to me, Scott Shigeoka. I'm on all the social medias, um, or yeah, you can uh, you can reach me out on any of those. So I'd be happy to you know be in conversation with you.
1: Great, great. Now, is there anything that you wanted to say that we did not cover? Is there anything you hmm. wanted to touch on?
0: I think the you know two just other points that you'll read about in the book if you if you get it. Um, one is about the cardinal directions of curiosity, which I think are really important because where you're pointing your your deep curiosity matters. Um, so there's three directions that I outline in the book. One is inner inward. Uh, The second is outward and the third is beyond. So inward is being curious about yourself uh, to understand your own stories. This is often what you do in therapy. Outward is getting curious about the world around you, the cultures, the systems around you. And then the beyond is what's not in the physical realm. And that's not just the divine or God or religion. It can also be consciousness or, uh, you know, people who are gonna be born seven generations from now. They don't yet exist, but we can bring them into um, our, our, our curiosity. So that I think is always really interesting and people really like to learn about. Um, And then the last piece is that curiosity is contagious. So
1: yes,
0: (laughs) when you actually practice your curiosity, uh, and you're just like, gosh, like, why isn't this person in my family or my friend group or whatever, being curious towards me, like, you know, well, if you can model that for them by being curious, it is more likely that they will pick up the practice themselves. And so um, that's what I think will lead us to a more curious world and a more curious culture um, is if each of us just takes the first step of being curious ourselves in very visible ways. So I invite you to not just be curious on your own, but to be curious in front of and to be witnessed by the people around you because that's gonna spread curiosity far and wide.
1: One delightful truth about having had so many curiosity conversations is that they connect in my mind. I'm often surprised by who reminds me of what, but as with my big jar of wannabe analogies, this show has shown me that we can make connections between any two things, if only we try. Or even if we don't, sometimes the connections just jump up and grab us. And that's what happened with this part of my time with Scott. I was catapulted back almost seven years to a conversation with Jen Seif, a yoga teacher in Arlington, Virginia. I'd found my way to Jen because an audience member said I should. She's always talking about getting curious about what's going on in our bodies, her student told me. You should talk to her. So many of Scott's reminders about slowing down, self-care, and our outward curiosity being so tightly tied to our inward curiosity reminded me of Jen.
2: One of my teachers, um, Kira Sloan, she's in Ojai, California. It it was really wonderful to hear a teacher tell you, you don't know squat. Mm -hmm. We can't control anything. Mm -hmm and when you accept that then you can sort of begin to really dive in and delve in isn't that interesting that ignorance feels so liberating <laughs> it was yeah <laughs> and i think that from then on i was really committed to devoting myself to to try and lift the veil and mm-hmm. to to open my eyes mm-hmm. like the eyes are your windows and i love going back to that analogy of of the home, your, uh-huh. your body, it's the house, your eyes, really, they connect to your brain, they send these, you know, um, they're the sensory receptors. And so being able to have them communicate with your brain and mm-hmm. your perception. Mm-hmm. And so I wanted to lift the veil. And, and in movement in the body, the yogic principle, uh, Svaryaya, uh-huh. Means self study uh, oh, or refinement, okay. and so as you start to really explore the landscape or explore the dynamic living being that you're, you are, mm-hmm. your practice becomes like an entryway, mm-hmm. and that going back to that analogy, your mm-hmm. your body and your brain are your mind. They're merely the, the building that houses the, the true gift inside.
1: I mean, it sounds like what you're talking about is kind of an, just simply paying attention, kind of turning the lights on um, and, and looking around. It's not just having the lights on, but really right. looking at where
2: you are. Right. And, and there's a, a, a misunderstanding, I think, that it feels good to Mm -hmm. be in your body sometimes. And Mm -hmm. I think that's what I also have explored. Um, So you might intentionally keep the lights off for a little while. Right, right. (laughs) You you might not draw the curtains open, but how do we relate to that then, Mm -hmm. you know? And can we figure out what that relationship is? Mm -hmm. And you kind of ask the questions, but you have to pause, you have Uh to listen. I give these tools too to my my 10 year old. You know, when he gets really worked up about something, just being mindful. Mm -hmm. And I'll ask him to be, uh, you know, I'll say five, five, five. You know, what's five, five, five? Five, 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 five. Tell me the first five things you see right now. Like oh. right now I'm looking out the window uh, uh, you know I, I see you driving the car I see you know I see a blue car what are the first five things you feel not feel it not not in an emotional sense but the seat beneath me my, the, the, the 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 car floor under my feet um, and then the first five things you hear you know and that get, that gets him out of the the uh, you know and I am so worked up. But it's an easy thing to then just draw you back into this present world. Mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. I really like that. Can I appropriate that? You've got <laughs>
2: 555. Five. I'm down with the 555.
1: Five, five. <laughs> I. That's a great, yeah. oh, what a great gift. Thank yeah. you for that. You've been listening to Choose to be Curious. I'm your host, Lynn Borton. Thanks for joining us here today. You can find all my episodes on my website at choosetobecurious.com. I hope you'll follow me here, there, and on social media at Choose to Be curious. Don't forget to send us your porcupine analogy, hashtag analogy. Many, many thanks to my guest, Scott Shigeoka, for sharing a conversation with me that has spilled from one episode into another. I hope you'll take him up on his invitation to stay in dialogue with him. Links to his book, Seek, How Curiosity Can Transform Your Life and Change the World, on my website. Links, too, to the full conversation with the lovely Jen Sife. Thanks too, to Sean Ballack for our theme music. And this is Home, Home at Last by Warm Body via Blue Dot Sessions. I hope you'll join me again next time. Until then, choose to be curious.